it was a massive weekend for Bitcoin. But that's not the only story. So let's get you caught up. Good morning. You're listening to the Rise and Crypto podcast by Cointelegraph with me, Robert Bags, steering you through the crypto cosmos with daily dispatches from the digital frontier. If you want to stay ahead of the curve in crypto, make sure you click that follow button. Okay, grab yourself a coffee and let's get into it. Well, that was quite the weekend in crypto. So here are the stories we're going to cover today. First up, five things you need to know about Bitcoin this week. SBF's lawyers will not file any post-trial motions. Richard Teng's exclusive interview with Cointelegraph since taking over as Binance CEO. North Korea's state-sponsored hacking has netted them around $3 billion in stolen crypto. And why the spot Bitcoin ETFs may be crucial for first-time adoption. Crypto is such a fast-moving space, it's difficult to cover things like price, even on a daily podcast, because it's so quickly outdated. However, we hit a milestone this weekend. Bitcoin broke $40,000, and William Suberg wrote a brilliant piece titled Breakout or 40k Trap? Five things to know in Bitcoin this week, and I think it's exactly what you need to hear on a Monday morning. The full piece is a long read, and it's brilliant, so click the link in the show notes to read it, but I will summarise the five key points. Number one. Bitcoin is steaming ahead with its price, and according to CoinGlass, it wiped out around $50 million of short positions on the 4th of December already. However, some have warned that it's something of a bull trap, and we're due a correction. CryptoChase said on X that they believe the low 40s price is overextended, and that they will add short positions at $43,000. Chase believes that a lot of the price action is the result of bull FOMO, and they have been short since $38,400. However, Chase added that if Bitcoin were to hit $50,000, that they were wrong with their predictions. Number two, Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, has hinted that in the last decision of 2023, the Fed may cut interest rates. This is always significant as when the interest rates go up, people invest less in risky assets such as Bitcoin. Conversely, when they go down and it's cheaper to borrow money, investment in Bitcoin tends to go up. So this decision could pile onto the bullish sentiment around Bitcoin at the moment. Three, the price of gold has hit an all-time high and gold's price tends to go up during uncertain times. The US dollar index, DXY, a measure of the USD strength against other currencies, hit four-month lows last week, and this is all connected. Liquidity in the US is up, gold is up, but the DXY is down, and these markers tend to all be very good for Bitcoin. Number four. The halving event that is coming in April has many Bitcoin miners looking to line their coffers as much as possible before then. So last month, estimated hash rates hit new record highs. What this essentially means is that more mining is happening through either more powerful or more numerous computers. The correlation between hash rate and price is a tricky one, but the miners ramping up is a positive for Bitcoin overall. And five, the fear and greed index shows some interesting results around Bitcoin sentiment. I'm writing this around 6am Eastern and the rating of the fear and greed index on Bitcoin is currently 74 out of 100, which verges on extreme greed. The last time this positive sentiment was seen was back in November 2021, and you may remember that was when BTC hit an all-time high of $69,000. As I say, read this full piece by clicking the article in the show notes. It's a great piece, and there's lots of references and charts that are worth seeing. 
The FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried case has concluded pending sentencing on the 28th of March 2024, but there was still one question mark remaining in the interim. The former FTX CEO was charged with seven felonies, including federal fraud, with a maximum sentence of 115 years in prison. SBF was found guilty on all charges, unsurprisingly, given the mountain of evidence and his close associates testifying against him. That said, SBF's legal team had the opportunity to contest various aspects of the trial and its outcome, but they have chosen not to file any post-trial motions, according to an article by Turner Wright. This may seem trivial, but there are some heavy-hitting motions, such as a motion for a new trial if there were sufficient issues during the last one, or a motion for judgment notwithstanding the verdict, a JNOV. This motion asked the court to overturn the jury's verdict on the grounds that the jury could not have reasonably reached the verdict they did with the evidence they were shown. However, in this case, SBF's lawyers have, in essence, accepted the outcome for now. They added at the end of their filing that we reserve our right to pursue any claims on appeal. So this is also potentially significant. An appeal would go to a higher court and would be challenging the outcome of the case or the sentencing in a completely separate process. But it doesn't sound like this is overly likely either. It seems as if it will probably rest on the severity of SBF sentencing, but that sentence doesn't seem as if it will be brief and it could potentially be the rest of his life. Binance's new CEO, Richard Teng, has spoken to us, specifically Gareth Jenkinson, about taking the reins of Binance and it's, again, a fascinating look at the shifting landscape of the Goliath exchange. Just two weeks after assuming the role of CEO, Teng reflects on how incredible a feat CZ pulled off building this organisation, but how there were flaws as a result of such rapid growth. He told Cointelegraph, In those very early days while we were building up the company, there were gaps in terms of compliance. This resulted in all these brief breaches and mistakes, but these are historical issues. Those gaps, of course, led to a $4.3 billion settlement that also forced CZ out of Binance. Going forward, under Teng's leadership, Binance will be about security and safety of the company, and he will ensure a close relationship with regulators. He said, I'm taking the baton and pushing ahead our growth agenda while working very closely with global regulators. This is a really interesting interview, but there was one strand that Jenkinson pulled that really stuck with me, and that is, was Binance treated unfairly? I don't believe enough people are asking this question, but the BitMEX CEO Arthur Hayes and Galaxy Digital's Mike Novogratz had flagged that Binance was not treated the same as mainstream finance firms for potentially larger and more impactful failings. Teng was not interested in stoking these flames, saying fines in terms of the financial sector are not uncommon. If you do a Google search for the list of fines paid by financial institutions, that list is close to $90 billion in fines. That's a considered response from Teng. Binance don't want to irk the US government agencies involved, and they have an NDA about the fine. But I believe the question of Binance's treatment, and if it differs from mainstream banks, is a worthwhile one. What do you think? Tweet us on at Cointelegraph and at RKBags. North Korea is a morbidly fascinating place for many of us who are nowhere near it. Any images or footage that escape the country show an Orwellian and bleak existence under a totalitarian dictatorship, primarily in poverty. Additionally, North Korea is known for its threat to the West, primarily as a result of its nuclear weapons and enormous military. A little fact for you, North Korea has the largest military in the world when you combine active, reserve and paramilitary personnel. However, one area of threat that North Korea is perhaps less well known for is cyber attacks and a report by 
by the cybersecurity firm Recorded Future released a stunning report on the latest focal point. North Korea has been honing in on crypto in particular, and since 2017, they have allegedly stolen $3 billion worth. In fact, as the report says, North Korean threat actors were accused of stealing an estimated $1.7 billion worth of cryptocurrency in 2022 alone, a sum equivalent to approximately 5% of North Korea's economy, or 45% of its military budget. 45% of the country's military budget is no joke when it's 7.7 million people strong. It's suggested that the state-backed hackers are able to scale their operations far beyond what most hackers can because they are state-backed, which is why they've seen such success in this area. The original target for the hacking campaign was South Korea, but the report suggests that North Korea has since moved on to other countries. Kieran Lyon's article on this report paints a clear picture. Crypto hacks seem to have become one of the most important areas of income for North Korea, as absurd as that is. As the report highlights, this amount is almost 10 times more than the value of North Korean exports in 2021, which was only 182 million. I guess we just have to hope that with the frequency and severity of crypto hacks in the past few years, security will be a key objective of many exchanges and ecosystems going forward, which will, in turn, reduce the abundant revenue stream for the North Korean government. Okay, let's end as we started. Bitcoin. The Swan Bitcoin CEO, Corey Clipston, suggested in an interview with Bloomberg one reason why spot Bitcoin ETFs might be so important. Last week, I covered a late addition to the spot Bitcoin ETF applications, which now brings us to 13 financial organizations eagerly awaiting the SEC's approval, which is tipped to be next month. Many in crypto are salivating at the thought of the applications being accepted simply for what it might do to the price. But a better focus is how it might improve Bitcoin adoption. Clipston said in in this interview with Bloomberg, the past six years, from 2017 through 2023, the top of the funnel for people looking to get into Bitcoin has been extremely noisy, polluted by all the crypto marketing schemes funded by $50 billion of venture capital, trying to essentially market and dump crypto tokens. It's a scathing review, but I wouldn't say it's unfair. For what it's worth, Clipston is optimistic about what will happen with Bitcoin's price if the ETF applications are approved. But I think this point about adoption is an important one. To my eye, spot Bitcoin ETFs with major banks such as BlackRock represent a more palatable first point of contact with Bitcoin. The ETFs sort of strip away all of the onboarding woes with wallets and keys, as well as the aggressive marketing efforts to be the gateway into crypto for newcomers, as Clipston points. Out. Although onboarding has improved massively since 2017, it can still be daunting buying your first cryptocurrency. So I think the spot Bitcoin ETFs could well help with one of the biggest points of friction for onboarding. Okay, that's you up to speed on this Monday morning. Consider yourself informed. Thank you for listening to the Rise in Crypto podcast by Coin Telegraph. If you're enjoying these daily updates, please make sure you let us know by following, subscribing or leaving a review. Have a great day. Let's do this again tomorrow. 